You've reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Welcome back to Love of Pages, everybody. This is Geek Elite Media's book podcast where a bunch of friends get together read books and drink (laughs) because that's what you do at book clubs yes so this week while i'm joined by jessica hello and steven that's me i we are also joined by the lovely naima oh so sweet (laughs) who is joining us hopefully permanently we are trying to occur in slowly into the madness (laughs) it'll be great So this week, we're starting off a new book. We are reading The Water Dancer by Ta-Nehisi Coates. I hope I'm saying that correctly. (laughs) (laughs) I practiced all weekend. (laughs) So I was like, I am not going to say this right. (laughs) So (laughs) normally we go through like the whole plot and I, I'm still going to try and hit the high points, but the way this book is written, I don't feel like I can hit, like, the whole plot. It's nice to have I a book have that has that much in it again. Yeah. Right? <laughs> in such it's, a short amount. It's just a third of the book, and so much is in it. No. Naima, how'd you feel? I mean, I, I liked it so far, so I listened to half audiobook while reading it because text is the way to go. Always buy books. Please support local bookstores. All of that jazz. Um, but I, I loved it so far. I'm a bit, like, taken aback because I, when I first started reading the book, there's a little bit of me who thought the main character was a girl. I think I'm the only one that may have felt that way <laughs> until I got to the part where it's like, and his son. And I was like, you are a boy. <laughs> Makes a lot more sense. I could definitely see how you would get that. Yeah. I the only thing I the reason the only reason I don't think I did was because I had read the like synopsis. Yeah. And it uses he, His, him yeah. pronouns. Yeah. So otherwise, yes, I could definitely see where you're coming from that. But Jessica, what did you, what was your first impressions of the book? How do you how do you feel about it so far? So when I first read the first paragraph i i like i bought it like a week early earlier than i usually would usually i'm like last minute buying it but (laughs) but i i um i read the first paragraph when i when i got it and i was like i'm gonna need to take my time with this one it re actually the first chapter in general reminded me of hemingway's writing style in a way where it's not quite and not quite as crazy as hemingway is it made a lot more sense than hemingway does but like really like thought writing is what it is where it's like being in someone's mind is one of my favorite forms of writing too and so I kind of sort of went this is going to be one I'm going to need to take my time with so I started reading this book earlier than I usually do normally I'm like the last like the day of a recording I'm like reading it during all my breaks <laughs> but like this one I was like no you're going to need to take your time and I definitely I needed it and I I'm enjoying it so much it's like it this book feels like it's something that 
I read in high school and enjoyed, not the ones that you hate in high school, but like, <laughs> and like, like it's, it feels like a classic novel. Like that's what it feels like. It feels like something that's going to withstand time. This story. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Naima's sitting over there like, yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree. But she's clearly. Things I thought I was like, ever all the thoughts are written really matter of factly. And I'm like, if this was like, Decades and decades earlier, this would have been Hemingway. This would have been yeah. Hemingway. <laughs> yeah. Stephen, what were your first impressions? I, I agree. Well, I should say, this is my second time attempting to go through this book. The first time I started okay. it, oh. I wasn't in like I, I wasn't in a spot where I was like, this is what I want or need right now. Even though oh, yeah. I, I wanted very much to read this book that was supposed to be so great, you know? Um, but at the time, like I picked it up, I was even doing it as an audio book the same way that I'm doing it now uh, with the, <gasps> the reader who I like so much, um, Dr. Joe Morton. He's great. Um, but yeah, like I was even doing it with a voice that I knew and liked, but it didn't hit me at that time. This time it's fantastic. Like listening to it, it's getting to hear something that's got so much like, text subtext and everything woven mm -hmm. into the story and it's a refreshing one after the last book <laughs> not to say that this book is bad it's just that there's so much more in everything it's it's got more meat yeah. on that bone you know but every once in a while i do want to go to mcdonald's and just get something off a dollar menu you know <laughs> which our last book was definitely that our last <laughs> book was a great lighthearted, quick, easy read, mm -hmm. just pull it out and bang through it. But yeah, no, I, I completely agree. This one. So we've, we've read heavier material before, but the way this writing lands for me is just so much more powerful in getting a lot of those heavy messages across. I feel like mm -hmm. at least that's, that's been my impression the first reading and not heavy in the way I was almost worried about, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. It in, wasn't. In what regard? Like you were worried about plot or were you worried like, uh, this is going to be heavy for me to read, like for you personally? I think for me it was that I was like, the time period we are dealing with the content we are dealing with, this has the ability to land very heavy in terms of the weight of guilt, I guess is, is no. probably the best way to put it. I'm, I'm sure there's a much more eloquent, much more resounding way to say that, mm -hmm. but this makes me instead the way this is written makes me and appreciate is not the right word, but I can feel it. I can, I can be there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. without it feeling like it's trying to blast my head off without it feeling like it's trying to make me feel guilty. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think it's very powerful and moving in that way because it does feel I'm getting the full impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Without it being. Yeah. I don't know. No, like for this. So there, there's a thing that you have to do um, that like to apply to something else. But you, you guys ever watched 
like a movie where they decided to do the spe- like the like the effects of like a building blowing up. They really blew up a building or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, yeah. or like um I guess even if you've seen like the first Pacific Rim, uh, even though it's fake, when something hits something else because it's giant robots fighting, they still gave everything like a heft and like weight to it, as opposed to watching a quote unquote building blow up in an episode of Power Rangers where you're like, yeah, yeah this is cardboard. Like that stuff stayed in the air for like way too long and everything. <laughs> this like this is there's so much substance there that when something happens, it has that accompanying weight to it as opposed to just being like paying lip service to the idea of something being heavy just because the person writing it said, this is supposed to be heavy. You feel it because it is in that moment in the reality Mm -hmm. of that situation. All of those things are all earned and real. Yeah. 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 No, I think it's go ahead. Naomi. Naima. I think I get what you guys mean just because like, I think the, subject of it all is heavy but i think the author does a really good job at it's not glossing over necessarily Mm -hmm. he does bring up that it is a period of slavery that our main character is in fact a slave but it's a different perspective on it versus yes the normal telling of a slave where this person's out in the field every day and the hardships that occur on a more like historical basis of like this is what you would get from a history book and we want to tell you about the hearts and the strifes versus this is his day-to-day life Mm -hmm. and you kind of get the context of slavery, but from his day-to-day life, not this occurred over a hundred years. It was awful. He lived this day-to-day, but not every day was, you know, him being like whipped all of these things. It was just like, mm-hmm. this occurs in the greater context of this, but he still had a life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. And I, and I think that's what makes it so powerful is kind of his slowly coming to realization or, or his, you know, as, as I feel like any child growing up would the realization of the wider world around you and what it actually means. And you, you have, you start with your immediate understanding of the world of your, you know, four walls of your street, of your space, of your town, of your, and so, and I, yeah, I feel like that growth really does it. It hits very heavy in a very different way. than I, and then I guess I, anticipated which is profound but i I do also want to thank you just elizabeth for having gone with this one in suggesting this one this was me doing the thing that you had done with the previous book where you're like (laughs) so like this is a book i've wanted to read someone else can suggest we read this one (laughs) (laughs) no and i uh, yes yeah and i do appreciate because the list of books just kind of kept growing for me of what mm-hmm. we what to read and i was like you know we did just a really light one like we should do something something more powerful something more impactful something bigger and it's february so i wanted to do something by a black author and because but i also didn't necessarily i kind of weighed that i want a black author but i don't want it to necessarily be the standard bearers i want something Mm. that's that kind of showcases the breadth of possibility so so i was really glad you dropped it in the possibility (laughs) links Uh, for for this one i guess oh good i was gonna say before we jumped into the plot drinks (laughs) brewskis 
kilt lifter logo. To Water, Arizona. Steven. <laughs> Water. Yeah, that's what I was just. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. No. So we were. We. I know we were talking about it in the group chat and just the kind of. It didn't seem right to do an elaborate cocktail. Like that didn't feel right for the book. Mm-hmm. No. So I definitely cocktail could have gone with this. Yeah, I. Okay. Like, <laughs> this is our problem. I, I was trying to think. Like, do we just have tea? Because they're constantly talking about like the the leaves of the tobacco. Like, what's the thing? But I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and say none of that feels like the right thing to do. What's a real drink? Like anyone? <laughs> like a real. <laughs> Like a real southern drink, like this so would have I mean, been around. Everyone drinks uh, mint southern julep. Mint yeah, I was going to say yeah. mint. Mint juleps were the only thing I thought of, particularly because of the horse racing, and yeah. that made me think of Kentucky Derby. And you drink mint juleps at the Kentucky Derby. Wait, when did they start drinking mint juleps, though? Because that's how I was like, I don't know when that became a thing. <laughs> that would have probably been post Civil War. That's yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like I don't like I couldn't. Because this time period, you wouldn't have had much in the way of hard liquors. Yeah. It would have been very limited supply options. So for this, oh, you so you're like, there were still options there. They just, it wasn't as vast. It wasn't as vast. You would have had, you wouldn't have really had vodka. You would have had whiskey and mm-hmm. or scotch. Probably rum too, right? Rum, rum probably would have gotten up there. Rum coming from the Caribbeans and then beer and wine and that would have been pretty much it and your selection on beer and wine would have been pretty minimal as well I was just imagining. and they wouldn't have really mixed the drinks you would just no. drink you just the drank out yeah i was just imagining they go into detail in a part here because it's like basically like all the white people get together they party for a while and eventually they've, they've drunk for so long and so much that they get to be doo-doo people even more so than they already are and yeah like, in that situation, I was like, "So they're just—they're just basically like drinking a bunch of like natty lights until their buttholes. Like that's what's happening here." Well, you wouldn't have had beer that that was that low in alcohol percentage. <laughs> it would be incredibly alcoholic the beer of that time. You, you have to remember that beer would have been about twenty-four, twenty-eight percent alcohol by volume, as opposed to three. So if if it, it's if, a lot, if this is it, yeah, I was gonna say if this is anyone's first podcast for this with me here, like I don't drink, so I don't know what any of these things means. If like my wine is six point five percent, I don't. My blue moon is five point four, six percent. Yeah. For- so. And your natty light is about two point eight. So that's why you can drink those all day. Yeah. <laughs> While out on the river. <laughs> because there really isn't much there. <laughs> but yeah. So we open so one of the interesting things I found is that and we we've had a book do this. We've had a couple books do this, but I really it was really done well in this book. We open with almost the end of this first section. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we open with our main character, Hiram. Is that how I'm, is that mm-hmm. how it's pronounced? Yep. Hiram. Hiram driving his brother as he continually. Um, and I cannot pronounce his brother's name. Mirid? Mirin? 
Maynard. Maynard, Maynard. yeah. I'm really bad with name pronunciations. <laughs> um, Naima, you don't know this yet, but you will. I'm really bad at them. <laughs> but so he's driving Maynard and a fancy woman. I I do enjoy, I, I do appreciate the difference in like the language feels very different mm-hmm. from a very different time period. So I just the the titles everybody gets. But you know what it is though. Like, yes. I know what fancy woman is at the time. <laughs> or is it just cause like he's like, oh yes, this is what my older brother calls a fancy woman. Or is it just like this is what we call them? <laughs> I think they're they're trying to hide the discretions of the people who are picking up these services. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, I definitely think I definitely think if not used by the greater society, it's definitely just a label that Hiram has given this section. These are fancy women. <laughs> We're just going to call them fancy women. It's, you know, kind of like he has given the upper white class the title of quality versus low versus tasked. So I was wondering I, so I was I wondering think- about those terms in particular. And their like mm-hmm. historical context. One of the things that I wanted to look up before this, but didn't think to, because there's got to be some historical basis to this one. I assume there is too. Uh, however, I have never run across it yeah, before. This is this <clears throat> is the first time that I've run across these particular terminologies. And I mean, have you? Yeah. So you guys no. are like like high, it's kind of just like highbrow or highborn and lowborn. So it's not necessarily. It is a class structure of sorts, but it's just. I like to think of it more as like if you've ever watched any movie that like takes place in the South that the people that are in like the big plantations on mm-hmm. the mountain and all of those things, those are like your highbrow people. And then you have your people who may have come over by indentured servitude or they may have come over with just less money, but they, you know, eventually do get their land and their mule and all of that stuff and eventually do come to also own slaves. They are not held to the same esteem as the people who are, you know, have giant plantations full of people and yeah. are able to do whatever they want. Most of those people never, you know, I guess, like, brought it to their attention what happens with, you know, their property or what was going on. So I think that was actually really reflected well in the book is the whole time mm-hmm. you had, like, I guess them, like, putting their nose up at people. is like, ah, oh, yes, he won at the races and all he got was a nod, not a smile, not mm-hmm. an acknowledgement, nothing, just... Mm-hmm. that's it and that's all he got so it was kind of showing that differentiation between like oh you do have you know different levels it's not just white versus black you've got like literal categories of people and sometimes the low born people or the low people spent most of their time with the slaves so there, it's an in- it's interesting because so I, I love etymology just in general um mm-hmm. the t- like the term highbrow and lowbrow literally have that meaning in phrenology. Mm-hmm. It's it's literally tied to like old nonsense concepts of this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. How big is your forehead? Just keep it up here and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the reason women have always stenciled their eyebrows on. <laughs> like we, I am we can a put queen. them wherever we want. <laughs> Yeah, and I did, so I am jumping ahead, but thinking of bouncing off Naima's point, he does internally have the thought process of if the low whites realized the difference and were willing to 
gamble their crumbs for a whole slice of the cake, we could do that. And it, I just, I found it very poignant and very relevant to today. Yeah. <laughs> in the, a lot of ways. In, in so many ways, like they, this is obviously a different kind of system and structure than the one that we're talking mm-hmm. about in the book and everything. But there's the very real conversation going on where a bunch of people who worked their way up to making like $16 an hour over time in their jobs over a period of years are now mad at the idea of minimum wage getting raised to 15, closing the gap between what they worked for. uh, And then someone else just starting from what they perceive as being higher than what they started with, where it's like the two, the two people on the bottom rung are mad at each other when they should be mad at the person on the top rung of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And then we can get into a whole economics podcast. Yeah. <laughs> this subscribe has been your economics Patreon. corner. <laughs> subscribe to that brand new pa- podcast at patreon.com slash media. <laughs> yeah. So, so we open with, I should probably get back to the plot. We, I, we will get through this. Uh, we open Hiram is driving Minard and the fancy woman home over the bridge, which we get the first glimpses of his memories of his mother or lack thereof. Yeah. Like, and he sees his mother dancing on the side of the river, apparently a very important, the goose river, right? Somebody yeah, correct me. It was wrong. called goose. Yeah. The goose river. <laughs> and all of a sudden the bridge disappears underneath them. Which I still haven't, I still am at a loss as to what actually occurred. But the bridge disappears underneath them. They go into the water. Hiram struggles, gets himself up. And then he goes towards what he describes as a blue light. After a brief discussion with, discussion with Minard, basically telling him to figure it out himself. Because <laughs> he can't, I can't carry you and me. That's just not going to work. Um... And then we flash back to the first time he experienced the blue light, which was when he woke up and his mother was gone and he had no memory of her, which is just a terrifying concept to me. I like that's that in and of itself is just a terrifying concept to Mm -hmm. just wake up one day and not only not have your parent, but to not remember them. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Especially when his, he has skill and memory. He has a very great photographic memory. He remembers everything that is said to him and everything he sees and stuff like that. So to just have that much and then lose the most important thing is just devastating. And you felt it too, reading it. Yeah, this the scene with him going from that having happened and then going over to where Thino was just with i guess this like offering with him like that's it's hard to read because that's real mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing yeah. absolutely happened yeah so he goes over to thena who is basically the plantation mean lady <laughs> I, I don't know how else to describe her. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's she's the mean neighborhood lady. Um, is is 
who she's supposed to be portrayed as. But he recognizes in her immediately. And I know that the book talks about his memory so much and his ability to remember. And I don't feel like it talks nearly enough about his skill to read people and to understand people and the power that that has. Because most people would look at Thena and just not go anywhere near her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he recognizes that she's just very honest about her grief where everybody yeah. else just tries to pretend it's not there. Which is a running theme between characters in this book in general. Absolutely. Absolutely. So he, he goes and, and he and Thena, uh, he, Thena ends up taking him in. Um, and they have their rocky start. And then eventually, as we discover his... DNA, because father just really isn't a term that should be associated, but his male DNA is provided by so it's like the plantation owner. Th- there was a term that was given to me by a person who was a, a child of like of divorce, um, where it's just uh-huh. dad and bio dad. Bio, yeah. Go. So just okay. bio dad, so and then father. bio dad. <laughs> yeah. So his bio dad is the owner of the plantation who catches him singing one day and decides to have him and Thena moved out of the fields and off the what they what he calls the street so their their row of of cabins into the main house where they're given just tiny individual rooms in the basement cellar and he begins to work in the house as does Thena and then eventually, because he shows off his memory skills at a party as a way to, as Stephen pointed out, deal with bored, drunk, mean whites. Um, he distracts them with his memory party games, catches the eye of Maynard's tutor, mm. who's the bio dad's only heir. Um. And so then Hiram ends up getting tutored and that tutoring abruptly comes to an end when his dad basically says, great, I have now trained you to be your brother's right hand. And I found this a very poignant point because up until this point, Hiram, you know, is discussing the thought process of maybe one day, uh, this is just, I mean, it's, Maybe one day I can prove my worth enough to have a spot to be worthy of part of this land. And then he discovers that really, in that moment, he really kind of discovers that, no, my skills are just going to be used for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's all, all I am is I'm a tool for somebody else's benefit. Um. So he then continually takes care of Maynard for all of its all of his follies and disasters until we get to the next big plot point is the race day where Maynard wins the races and as Naima pointed out in the discussion about class 
he wins everything and still those of means look down on him because while he is an heir mm-hmm. to means he is not he does not present himself as a gentleman should in their eyes yeah so he's kind of been thrown out of high society which i mean it sounds fine by me like i as much as i don't like this person it, in mm-hmm. some ways, it does make him the most likable of all of like those kind of like doo doo people. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I guess because he's just so incompetent that it feels I don't know. Well, it's, it's I guess it's like well, for, like it's it's not so much like it's like that he's it, it's not that. I, I lost what like the words I was going to say for this. He, he's not like putting on airs of anything, whereas mm-hmm. everyone else, like that's the entirety of what they are is like yeah. this, this falsehood, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. Was he's like, this is how all of you are on the inside that you hide behind your mannerisms. Like mm-hmm. you're all this person. And that's why, because he's so vocal about it. That's why you hate it because it's basically you admitting that you guys hate yourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, you're you were he is what you are in front of you kind of thing yeah yeah what's like weird about all of that is like i like i saw him as this character like uh uh hiram gets really into detail about trying to get him dressed for this event and it's just like he's not putting off the air he's wearing the suits he's doing everything he's supposed to but it's just not coming off the way mm-hmm. it's supposed to come off like there's no way to make him into what they want and mm-hmm. it's like I don't know if it's like an ignorance is bliss thing and he keeps having these really harsh smacks of reality of you are not going to be enough for them. But yeah. he's like, when I win, I'll show I'll show them, I'll show them like it'll be this thing. It's kind of like I think uh it's a really good thing at the beginning in the first parts of this book where it, it basically describes as they're like flowing down the goose. That it's like his brother's always been a child. He will always be a child and he still kind of acts this way. Mm-hmm. It's just I'm going to go show them. Like, we have to turn around. I don't care if I won. We got to go show them. And it's like, you won. Just win. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to be like them. Just don't, <laughs> don't go all and boast about it. But he needs to do this because he's o- only about proving himself to all of these people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that goes to the later point. I think your very thought and an expression of it, it goes to that dream that Hiram has later on about Maynard being a child, or I guess it was before the race day, being a baby holding onto the chains of everybody Hiram holds near and dear to his heart mm-hmm. and them just disappearing and him still being shackled to this baby. Yeah, it, um, it, it was interesting that basically, like some of these people might have had a little more going on still, but the one of the biggest through lines in the entirety of him telling the backstory is that pretty much the bottom has fallen out of everything that was industry in this area. So it's just a bunch of people who have like dwindling resources, <laughs> all like putting on airs to just pretend at each other like that's not happening around them. And just being jerks to each other, despite the fact that they're all in that same situation. Yeah. Yeah. All still clinging to the good old days. Mm -hmm. 
as they would probably put it. So because of that earlier dream and because of what's occurred at race day, Hiram has kind of started to make the decision that he needs out. And he basically states to us or thinks through the process that there's there were two ways. You could slowly try and work your way to buy your freedom mm-hmm. or you could run away. And the first way is no longer an option because they can now get more for you in trade than you could ever earn scraping by. Well, I think they so, they, they might have said that that entire option was gone now. Like they don't allow them this even. Yeah. Well, Hiram, Hiram kind of insinuated that. I don't know that he said that it didn't actually exist. It just mm-hmm. didn't really ex- It was no longer a real thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What did everybody else get? I don't know. else catch that? Uh, kind of a mix of both, probably. Like, it, like he, I think he did say that it was like you would never be able to afford it, but I feel like the implication I got from it was that they just weren't allowing it, kind of, because they were all um, losing money because their tobacco crops were starting to fail, which is what tobacco crops do anyway. It's a really horrible plant, but... <laughs> They literally destroy soil, so they always will eventually fail unless you really know what you're doing. And yeah, so yeah, I was I assumed kind of a mixture of both. Like he thought it was unattainable because of this, but I think it was really unattainable because they just stopped doing it. Yeah, I think it's just word of mouth type of thing. It's like yeah. you every town that existed like right over whatever separation they had. It was right there, so like. It was possible it was a dream that people had at a certain time, but it's again, it's money for like blood at this point. So Mm -hmm. if they saw that there was commodity in these people, even if they didn't need them anymore, because most of like just contextual contextually, like most of the people who bought their freedom back then was mostly from very like amiable Mm -hmm. word to use for like a slave owner. But like at the point where they were like, okay, not to have one (laughs) where they were just like, okay, well, you know, I lived my life. I'm old now. I don't need this land or these crops. You can, you know, do a little here, do a little there. I'll pay you pennies, less than pennies, and you can buy your freedom from me. Those are the people who ended up in those free towns versus like, yes, if you were an able-bodied, strong, young person, you there was no way for you to buy your freedom in that context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. So... On race day, we also get introduced to Hawkins, Amy, and Christine, right? Hoping I, I got the white woman's name right. Kareen. Was it Kareen? Yeah, Kareen. Or Kareen, yeah. Yeah. Kareen. Miss Kareen. Miss Kareen has been promised to Maynard because she is a apparently very business savvy heiress to a large amount of land and she knows what she's doing, but she's a woman. So (laughs) she still can't make deals. She still can't do things. So she needs a husband that she can basically control. And Maynard needs a wife that will handle all of the actual business end of things. So a deal is struck prior to race day and her, right-hand woman is Amy and her 
manservant, I think is the term that they use, uh, is Hawkins. And Hawkins makes Hiram very uncomfortable. Which he does seems not. Fair. I, don't, I don't. This. <laughs> Say it again. He's a task. He's a tasker's tasker. So there was like this whole portion of the book where it's like those who do a little more than what's required of them and what's asked of them. They're the snitches. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Snitch. So, but I, I think we're set up for something very different coming out of this, but we'll get to predictions later. Um, so when Hiram drops Maynard off at the fancy lady's house <laughs> and is instructed that he'll pick, he'll to pick him back up in an hour. Hiram decides to walk to Freetown to see Georgie Parks, which is our last big introduction character. Mm-hmm. And Georgie is known and revered by all. He's the man who knows all in Hiram's world. Um, And Hiram is convinced that Georgie is part of the Underground Railroad, which he doesn't call the Underground Railroad. He calls it just the Underground. And Hiram's understanding is that it's just a group of people who live in the swamp. Yeah. Again, it's one of those things you don't know what you don't know you don't know. Um, (laughs) That was too many of those. But... uh, (laughs) So he goes to talk to Georgie about feeling the need to get out. And Georgie basically tells him, forget it, find a wife, pretend to be happy, and move on. And so Hiram goes back, picks up Maynard and the fancy woman. And we end up back in that water scene. And we get past the blue light at this point. Mm Mm-hmm. And Hiram finds himself at the edge of a fallowed field. And the plantation's name is Loctus. Is that, how do they pronounce it in the... Oh, yeah. The how do they pronounce it? Loctus. Okay. Loctus. He's at the edge of Loctus and he collapses. And he wakes up in Maynard's bed. After fever dreams and pain and several rounds of waking up. Mm -hmm. And when he wakes up, he sees Sophie, who we had gotten introduced to a little bit before as a potential love interest, but not really in depth. And Mm -hmm. even as our as our narrator protagonist discusses at that point, he thought of love as something that just was explosive a fire instantaneous it was not something to be built it was not something that took time or interest it just existed mm. um, I, I did appreciate which is very much a 19 year old's concept of love i feel like yeah i, I did appreciate that it wasn't it's like cheapened in that or it, they said anything like oh it was just something like physical or whatever you know like it was never that it was still looked through looked at through the lens of something that could be perceived as genuine in that time and like mm-hmm. in that yeah. moment um the, the, in that person's age i should say like it would be something genuine as opposed to just like thinking like yeah no i just like wanted a body you know like it nothing like that as so many people tend to talk about their young flings yeah 
Yeah. So he gets better and he gets told that the story is that Hawkins found him on the bank of the river. Um, dripping wet, uh, unconscious. Hiram discovers through his own investigation that he definitely did end up in the fallowed field of lawless, lockless. Um, mm-hmm. And so he doesn't know why Hawkins is lying. Mm-hmm. And it makes him even more uncomfortable and nervous. And furthermore, Miss Corrine is still coming every day to Lockless. And she eventually has a conversation with Hiram where he lies and basically says Maynard saved his life. Yeah. Because he knew that's what she wanted to hear. Well, it, mm-hmm. it was also, it was a thing that had been said to him by his bio dad. Yeah. And yeah. it loved him and it's like, he gave his life for you. And it's like, yeah, it's like, like no, he did that. He went, I mean, he, he went out begging. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so Hiram decides to give them what they're looking for in an honorable death for Maynard. And Corrine basically hints that she intends to ask for Hiram as part of the grieving and widowed uh, alimony, I guess, essentially, is what it would be. Um, And with that... And with the look that Sophie gives Hiram, Hiram decides, nope, this is not, this is not going to happen. This is, this is not okay. I can't do this. I can't, I can't leave the only home I've ever known. And I won't continue to live this way. So he goes back to Georgie Parks and says, look, I'm leaving. I want your help, but I'm leaving. And I'm leaving with Sophie. And when he leaves Georgie Parks and Georgie says, okay, you've clearly made up your mind. Meet me back here in one week. When he's leaving Georgie, he runs into Hawkins and Amy, which Mm -hmm. makes everybody uncomfortable. And Hawkins asks where he was coming from. And Hiram then points out to us, as we all know, that there are multiple ways of earning your keep, I guess. Um, Some make themselves useful with trades and some make themselves useful by being snitches. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, Hiram is clearly convinced that Hawkins is is a snitch. And then, oddly, his old professor shows up out of the blue as if he's got an appointment with Amy and Hawkins. Um, They depart ways at that point. Hiram picks up Sophie, lets her know that they're leaving. Mm -hmm. He is essentially, at that point, decided to leave. He kind of 
burns all his bridges with everybody, for lack of a better term. And we close out the end of chapter 8 and the two pages for chapter 9. He and Sophie appear at the rendezvous point and Georgie comes and behind him are five men of the slave catcher. Yeah, and they all work for the guy who um, Sophia is like in, in like Entwined, entangled with, I guess. I right? Her master. Yeah. Her. Yeah. So they end up, we end with the two of them locked in the quote-unquote jail, which isn't a jail for criminals, but a jail for escaped slaves and those who are going to be sold. And that's the end of the first part of three. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Anybody yeah. have any? I know Naima has notes. So, what did I miss <laughs> that you want to talk about? Everything. I just so this book. So, one of my favorite like things with writing. Ooh, I keep hitting this. One of my favorite parts of reading or anything is I. I'm a big fan of foreshadowing. It's one of my mm-hmm. favorite things. So, anytime I see a connection of something that's introduced at the beginning of a book and then they just keep mentioning it through and throughout the book, it becomes like this thing and obviously it's leading somewhere. Not all books do. I feel like this book is leading somewhere with this. (laughs) It's like really particular that it's, you know, his uncle's girl that he's interested in and this is the one that he ends up with. Yeah. And all of that stuff. But they bring up like, like I think you brought up, there's all of these different stories as to the event or the bridge incident and no one seems to actually know what happens except Hiram and his memory oddly enough is like a little weary on the subject where he has this very very large like persona of having this great memory I know this book is supposed to be like partially magical and then also like partially reality Mm -hmm. I tend to just push straight past the magical and make up a logical reason for everything (laughs) obviously goes into like fugue states and that's why he ran off the bridge and that's why he doesn't remember as much (laughs) like it like to me i feel like that's going to become like a really large thing with like why he he we have it chalked up to the fact that he reads people really well and so with kareen and feeling that she needed that explanation he gave that explanation but he also allowed that explanation to be told to his father but he didn't tell his father that Maynard saved him. Like it was very specific to leave that out for some reason. And then there's the story that Hawkins saved him. And then there's the story he knows where he washed up somewhere and he has this coin, which has to in some way be relevant or they wouldn't have brought it up that many times. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I really do appreciate like all of these sort of recurring like moments where they bring up what happened during the like first five page spent of the bridge disappearing but as for predictions i honestly do not think that i want this is just me loving a twist but i want it to be that they were brought there as a part of the whole situation like maybe those people that work for um that came with what is his name the slave catchers um that came with them with Georgie Parks? With Georgie Parks, yeah. Aren't necessarily what they seem because, I mean, they could have, like, we had this whole deep explanation of they could have done anything they wanted at that period. Yeah. Like, there are no rules and they've made this very clear that mm-hmm. 
Virginia and its slave trade has very rapidly declined recently. It's not Mississippi. It's not Kentucky. Those places are functioning. Virginia is no longer functioning. Mm -hmm. And so they could have done whatever they wanted. They had rope, could have done anything. And instead, they bring them to a jail and leave them there. Mm -hmm. So my plot twist is this obviously can't end here. We still have two thirds of this book left. Um, This is our main character. But I have a feeling that maybe Hiram makes it out and Sophia doesn't or she gets taken back, of course, to her master because he's not giving her up anytime soon. But somehow Hiram gets away. Okay. Jessica, any thoughts, predictions? I feel like, and because I know there's some magical element in it, I'm not quite for sure what the magical element is yet, but I feel like, what's his name, Hamish? The, the snitch. Hiram. Oh, Hiram. There you go, the snitch. I feel no, like... no, I, Hiram's the main oh, character. Hawkins. Oh, no, not Hiram. No, Hawkins. There we go, Hawkins. Um, I feel like Hawkins saw it. Because I remember that whole time before that thing happened, Hiram was saying that it seemed like Hawkins was following him or something or keeping eyes on him. So I feel like Hawkins does know whatever it is that Hiram can do. And I feel like that's why Corinne wants Hiram. And I think it's just another way for him to be used, and and he eventually gets away. I'm hoping. I don't know, but I, I feel like it's going to turn into him being used for his magic powers and his memory powers and every everything else. I'm, I'm thinking. So I I know what this ability is. I think because of a conversation that we had, uh, you you and I, Elizabeth. Because you you yeah. said something about something that I did not know about this book, <laughs> and when like then when um like uh, as we were going like reading the book, I was very much understanding what was happening and why there was a discrepancy here. So I I don't think I can um like forecast any events with this one because I I came in with uh, knowledge already. Mm. So I'm going to avoid some predictions for the same reason I I looked at the Wikipedia page because I was trying to decide on a book. So I looked at the Wikipedia page. They put a lot on Wikipedia pages of books. Yeah. It's a real trap. It's they dangerous. Put everything on it. They put, it, it like it's basically the, yeah. <laughs> it's basically the new version of Cliff Notes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm going to avoid some, but. My prediction is I think Hawkins and Amy are the one who are going to get them out of the jail. I think they are the ones part of the Underground Railroad with the professor who Mm. happened to, on the last day of tutoring, teach him about the North Star. Oh, yeah. I forgot that. Yeah. I forgot. And then happened to have an appointment with Amy and Hawkins. And to me, what better way to throw everybody off your track? than appearing like a snitch. If you appear to be a snitch and just give not bad information, but you can always give information that's not particularly useful. Information that's a day or two old. Information that, you know, they already knew, but just didn't, just confirming their information. Mm -hmm. I mean, now that you say that kind of stuff, it gets me thinking of maybe he was just feeling Hiram out because, like, the whole underground, you need to be a certain kind of yeah. tight-mouthed person. So, like, yeah. if 
he was just out there you're like yeah just planning my way out of here you know <laughs> just planning to not be here tomorrow you know kareen's planning to meet me on friday i won't be here it's not the <laughs> best look <laughs> to be going yeah. out saying all those things so but i just i think with the twist that georgie is the one who turned them in I think the other half to that twist yeah. is that Hawkins and Amy are the ones to get them out because that brings up full circle that nobody is what they seem. And that's kind of the whole point of the underground railroad is things aren't what they seem. Otherwise it isn't successful. Yeah. I do wonder, did anyone else see that coming? Because Georgie was like, meet me next week. And I was like, Nope, it's a trap. Just yeah. No, I thought, oh yeah. As, as soon as Georgia was like, maybe you don't want to do that. I was like, dude, he's going to snitch on you. Like, just I, I didn't necessarily think he was going to snitch, but I was definitely like, he is not the person to help you. Yeah. I yeah. thought it was going to be like, like, they go up there and it's just two of the slave catchers waiting. I didn't think it would be like, they got there first and he like walks them up to them. I thought they would just be like, oh no, we were just taking a stroll. Bye. well or i just anticipated georgie just not showing up yeah yeah just just ghosting them essentially like because if georgie helps like you have a hard time being that point person for the underground railroad if you've got a newborn and a wife and you are in a tenuous situation being a free person Mm -hmm. like that's a very You know, even as Hiram points out, like, yes, all of this is shitty. Everything is shitty. But being somebody else's property, you at least had the protection of, well, there are consequences if you hit me without my master's okay. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you are just a free black person, that's not a protection you have. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, not to make, I mean, it's all shitty. Do not get me right. It is all shitty. Yeah. But no, when, like when, oh. in Georgie Parks, situation, like everything is so tenuous. There is no solid ground that you're jumping off of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I found it just weird in the concept of just like knowing so much. It's like everyone learns generally something about slavery, like growing up in schools and such. But, like, there's, like, another layer to things of, like, if you, he was known as being this person widely. It wasn't, like, it was a secret. Hiram was blatantly in daylight walking over to, like, Freelander, the Freetown. Yeah. Like, conversing and commingling. And that just wouldn't have happened. Like, there's no way that would have been, like, yes, this is the guy you want to talk to to do the most, like, illegal possible thing you can do as a slave. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that was all suspicious in itself. It's like we're not going cover of night. You don't want to have this conversation elsewhere, or code words or nothing. Okay, sure. yeah, for it to just be out there in the open where that he got to like, like even go over to his house, go like go for a walk together. That's all very odd. Yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. While we could probably sit here for another three hours and dissect this third of the book. On that note, Naima, where can people find you on social media? Yes. Well, I am at Ima Janan. It's I-M-A-H-J-A-N-A-N. It's just pictures of my face, but I do hope to be relaunching my book um, blog sometime next month, which is renamed currently as Other Places, Other Pages. I like it. 
Jessica, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. It's JM Bailey writes. And Stephen, where can people find you? Come and find me on Twitter. I'm at Peppermint Gent. That's short for Peppermint Gentleman. Come and ask me about the great movement. Hashtag double dusted. I was just going to ask you if there was anything you wanted to plug. <laughs> on that note, uh, you can find me with the rest of Geek Elite Media at Geek Elite Media on our Facebook page forward slash Geek Elite Media. Archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts can be found on our website, geekelitemedia.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on whatever podcatcher you have. And if you have a couple extra dollars in your pocket, uh, we would love to get your support on our Patreon page. But until next time, this is the love of pages reminding you to keep turning those pages and always remember to... Geek out. Geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Peace.